Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to have you worship with us. All of you in the overflow this morning, we love you. Uh, the youth band is leading back there. We love you guys as well. Thank you for worshiping and leading and being a part of this service. Uh, we have friends in Perry, Oklahoma who uh, uh, join us uh, on video, and God bless you guys. We love you and, and pray that God will continue to prosper the church on the square there. Even as I am standing here this morning, we have a team of folks from our church in Montana. They flew out yesterday morning at 4 a.m., and by bedtime they had knocked on over 500 doors. Uh, they are doing some evangelism training this afternoon, and then tomorrow they will begin a sports camp with young people, uh, basketball and soccer, all through this week. Uh, at this moment, Matt Betts is preaching, and uh, Andrew Causey leading worship there in Montana. So remember them in prayer. It's pretty amazing these days that the reach of a, a redneck church like ours in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Um, on any given week uh, now, we have video and audio going out. Uh, we have people who listen now to worship services from Woodburn Baptist Church in places as far away as Germany. Our, our friend Mary is there in Germany. We love her so much. Uh, I have a friend in Guatemala. His name is Sergio. We met on the internet, and, and he listens to sermons frequently. We have a great number of folks in Texas who download messages from Woodburn Baptist Church. We don't know who they are, and we don't know why, um, but, but yet... Uh, that, that is uh, the world we live in. It, it's pretty amazing, but, but remember, it's about the Word of God. It's about Christ. And our desire to spread the Word about Christ, uh, it, it consumes us and drives everything we do here at Woodburn. It is about Christ. It's truly about Christ. But remember, uh, Christ is uh, witness to, given witness to in, in God's Word, the, the Bible. We said last week that the Bible is God's Word in human words, and, and truly it is. And I want us to take a look uh, at one very interesting passage in the Old Testament. This is the book of Jeremiah, chapter 36. The sermon series is entitled Living Word, and we're taking a look at the doctrine of Scripture. As I told you last week, the thing about the doctrine of Scripture in Scripture is that the Bible doesn't point to itself. It doesn't talk about itself. It, it points to Christ on every page, in every sentence. It always points to salvation in Christ. And so it does very little in, in, the, in the way of reflecting back on itself. Jeremiah chapter 36, though, is a very interesting story where Jeremiah, the prophet, who's a preacher, he's been preaching for 23 years by this point, God tells him to, to sit down and write, to, to write down the message that he's giving him. And so this is a place where the, the spoken word becomes the written word. And right from the start, there is an incredible desire to spread the word. And right from the start, an incredible, incredible movement to destroy the word. Let's take a look at the story together. Jeremiah chapter 36. This is a, a longest passage. I, I want to read uh, an extensive bit. I want you to follow the story. I want you to pay attention how from the very beginning, Scripture has its purpose and, and it's repeated several times. Why does God give his written word? Pay attention to the proper response and then, of course, the uh, tragic and terrible response of one to the word of God uh, from Jeremiah chapter 36. Listen. During the fourth year that Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, was king in Judah, the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. Get a scroll and write down all my messages against Israel, Judah, and the other nations. 
Begin with the first message back in the days of Josiah and write down every message right up to the present time. Perhaps the people of Judah will say the word repent. Perhaps the people of Judah will repent when they hear again all the terrible things I've planned for them. Then I will be able to say the word forgive, forgive their sins and wrongdoings. So Jeremiah sent for Baruch, son of Neriah, and as Jeremiah dictated all the prophecies that the Lord had given him, Baruch wrote them on a scroll. Then Jeremiah said to Baruch, I'm a prisoner here and unable to go to the temple. So you go to the temple on the next day of fasting and read the messages from the Lord that I have had you write on this scroll. Read them so the people who are there from all over Judah will hear them. Perhaps even then they will turn from their evil ways and ask for the Lord's forgiveness before it is too late. For the Lord has threatened them with this terrible anger. Baruch did as Jeremiah told him and read these messages from the Lord to the people at the temple. Verse 11. When Micaiah son of Gemariah and grandson of Shaphan heard the messages from the Lord... He went down to the secretary's room in the palace where the administrative officials were meeting. Elishama, the secretary, was there, along with Deliah, son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, son of Achbor, Gemariah, son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. When Micaiah told them about the messages Baruch was reading to the people, the official sent Jehudi, son of Nethaniah, grandson of Shelemiah, and great-grandson of Cushi, to ask Baruch to come and read the messages to them too. The faster you say the names, the smarter you sound. <laughs> so Baruch took the scroll and went to them. Sit down and read the scroll to us, the official said, and Baruch did as they requested. When they heard all the messages, they looked at one another in alarm. We must tell the king what we have heard, they said to Baruch. But first, tell us how you got these messages. Did they come directly from Jeremiah? So Baruch explained, Jeremiah dictated them and I wrote them down in ink, word for word, on this scroll. Verse 21. The king sent Jehudi to get the scroll. Jehudi brought it from Elishama's room and read it to the king as all his officials stood by. It was late autumn, and the king was in a winterized part of the palace, sitting in front of a fire to keep warm. Each time Jehudi finished reading three or four columns, the king took a knife and cut off that section of the scroll. He then threw it into the fire, section by section, until the whole scroll was burned up. Neither the king nor his attendants showed any signs of fear or repentance at what they heard. Even when Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah begged the king not to burn the scroll, he wouldn't listen. Verse 27. After the king had burned the scroll on which Baruch had written Jeremiah's words, the Lord gave Jeremiah another message. He said, get another scroll. Write everything again. Just as you did on the scroll, King Joachim burned. Then say to the king, this is what the Lord says. You burned the scroll because it said the king of Babylon would destroy this land and empty it of people and animals. Now this is what the Lord says about King Jehoiakim of Judah. 
He will have no heirs to sit on the throne of David. His dead body will be thrown out to lie unburied, exposed to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will punish him and his family and his attendants for their sins. I will pour out on them and on all the people of Jerusalem and Judah all the disasters I promised, for they would not listen to my warnings. So Jeremiah took another scroll and dictated again to his secretary, Baruch. He wrote everything that had been on the scroll, King Jehoiakim had burned in the fire. Only this time, he added much more. Take your seats. A, a recent survey conducted by the Barna Group says this. 85% of households in the United States, 85% of households have at least one Bible. That's exciting. 85% of households in the United States still have at least one Bible. And the average household has 4.3 Bibles. So if your household is average, if you went through your house, you could find probably about four or five Bibles. How many would say that's true? Yeah. How many would say more than 20? Yeah, maybe. Some of us, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. But, but for all the Bibles we have, 36% of Americans, 36% of Americans read the Bible less than once a year. 36% of Americans read the Bible less than once a year. And if you ask them why they don't read the Bible more often, what do you think they say? Number one response, why don't you read the Bible more often? Most Americans say, I don't have time. Don't have time. I personally have, have grown up in church. That's probably part of what makes me weird. I, I, I grew up in church. I grew up with the Bible, just like the, the kids who sat on these steps this morning and talked to, uh, uh, to Brother James about Bible school. I, I was one of those kids. I learned the Bible stories. I learned to love the Bible primarily because I loved the people who taught it to me. And so I absorbed everything that my parents, everything that my grandma, everything that the church wanted to teach me. I, I absorbed that. I, I was just a church kid, and, and I loved to please people. So all through my childhood and all through my growing up years, I read the Bible because I was taught to read the Bible. And when they read the Bible at church, I, I listened because, honestly, I was familiar by that time with the stories, and I loved to hear them again. This was my life pretty much all the way up through high school and just into college. When I was about 20 years old, something happened, and it really was a turning point for me. And some of you knew me at the time. Something happened in my relationship with Christ, but it also involved my relationship with the Bible. And those two are very, very connected. All I can say is at about the age of 19, 20, um, it became very, very real to me, very serious to, to me, my relationship with Christ. It happened probably about the time I moved out from the house. It happened about the time I guess I was becoming adult in, in every other way. But all of a sudden, my faith became mine. It became mine. And it became very, very exciting to me. And, and at the same time, the Bible became very, very exciting to, to me. 
Now again, I had heard the stories, I had memorized whole passages. The Bible was something I was extremely familiar with. But I would say up to that point, I read the Bible. After this point, after that point at about the age 20, I'll say this. After that point, the Bible began to read me. You understand? Can you possibly understand what I'm saying? It was a switch. Up to that point, I read the Bible. But after that point, the Bible read me. The Bible came to life before my eyes. And it was no longer simply reading stories that I had heard and stories that were familiar and stories that reminded me of my childhood. I began to read words of life and the words began to read me. In other words, in the pages of this book, in the Word of God, I began to find real light for my life. I began to really see a sort of mirror for my true face, and I began to understand more and more of what God wanted from me. The Bible started to read me. It's a very different kind of relationship than what probably most people know. Understand, as we said last week, this is God's word in in human words. God's word in in human words. It's the Bible. And you've got to understand how desperately God wanted to put this in people's hands. God wanted to put the Bible in people's hands. Understand, that was not his primary goal. His primary goal was not to drop a book out of heaven and into your hands. God's primary goal was to save you through Jesus Christ, his son. That's his primary goal. But God's written word is a very important part of that plan of salvation, getting his word into the hands and into the hearts of people. God's word in human words. The process of getting God's word into written form, to get God's word into something you can hold in your hand, something you can pass on to your children, something you can read and reread, and it begins to read you. That process is a long, long process. And honestly, many of us really think very little of it. We just go down to Walmart or to the bookstore and we buy a Bible and often it gathers dust on the table at home. This is just how we think of it. We really don't really begin to let it sink in the extent that God went to to give us his word like this. But Jeremiah 36, give us just a picture. It's one picture of how one part of this book comes to us. It's Jeremiah's own story of how the written book of Jeremiah came to be. Now realize, Jeremiah was a preacher. He was a prophet. And you need to go back and, and just read his whole story. Start in chapter 1. It's really interesting, really exciting. God just calls Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, you can't use me. I'm just a kid. I'm just a boy. And God says, don't say I can't use you. I'm going to put my words in where? Your mouth. I will put my words in your mouth. Don't say I can't use you. Don't say you can't preach. Don't say that you can't be a prophet. I take responsibility for you. I put my words in your mouth. And for something like 23, 24, 25 years, Jeremiah has now devoted his life to speaking God's word. God puts his words in Jeremiah's mouth, and Jeremiah goes out and says, This is what the Lord says. He speaks God's word. That's what the prophets do. They speak the words that God puts in their mouths. 
And for these 20-something years, this is what Jeremiah has done. But now something's about to change. God brings a new commandment to Jeremiah. And what does he say? Jeremiah, these messages you've been preaching for all of these 20-something years now, I want you to what? Write them down. Write them down. Okay, stop and think about that. The funny thing is, this week I was going through some old seminary books, and a letter fell out of my book that Casey wrote me in our second or third month of marriage. It's like 24 years ago. It was awesome, I guess. Because as I read it, I don't know what she's talking about anymore. I have no idea. There, there are two particular lines. One of them she uses letters, and this is before texting. This is before OMG and LOL. She just wrote, W-Y-S. I don't have to tell you what that means. 24 years later, she's got to tell me what that means. So I went to her and said, Casey, this is awesome. You remember what this means? She says, I have no idea. No idea what that means. W-Y-S. Don't have to tell you. I wish, I wish she'd have told me. There, there was another place in the letter. She uses three more letters. Uh, she's abbreviating something. It's probably really exciting, but it's lost forever. Yeah. We're never going to be like you know, Ronald and Nancy Reagan where they find our newsletters and publish them because they're so beautiful. Ours are just so, so, so lame. Uh, yeah. But 24 years ago, I look at him now and, and I hardly remember. So understand, God says, Jeremiah, I want you to go back now and write down all the sermons you've been preaching for 23, 24 years. Write them all down, all the way back to the first one, all the way up to yesterday. Write all these down. How is he going to do that? How is he going to remember word for word? Because that's the point. It's word for word, God's word. How is he going to remember that? How is that ever going to happen? What's the answer? God's going to do that. It's the Holy Spirit. This is how God's word comes into written form. God continues to put his words into the mind, into the mouth, into the pen of the prophet. He's going to be writing down the message now, but it's still going to have to be the Holy Spirit that brings those messages back. No human mind, no human being could ever remember word for word every sermon he's preached, and he's preached a lot of sermons. Write them down, God says. Write every word down. What's the purpose? Why write it down? Jeremiah is actually a very, very good preacher. Lots of emotion. He cried at the weeping prophet, they called him. You'd love to hear Jeremiah preach. Why do we need to write them down? Just let Jeremiah keep preaching. Or maybe give him a television ministry, a podcast. Why write it down? To uh, spread the word. You understand? To, to, to spread the word. As long as that word is only on his mouth and the only people who will ever hear the word are the ones who are in proximity to the prophet's mouth. But Jeremiah is not going to live forever, but God's word is going to endure forever. And so God says, write it down. Write it down. We're putting God's word, the prophet's word, in a form that, that's going to allow it to be spread, uh, allow it to be shared. So notice the process. Notice what happens. So Jeremiah, verse 4, he sent for Baruch. Who is Baruch? What's he do? 
He's the secretary. Jeremiah has a secretary named Baruch. Now, this is interesting, but Jeremiah doesn't personally sit down and write it. I don't know why. Maybe he was left-handed. Maybe he had really poor handwriting. I have no idea. But the process was Jeremiah, God gave the word to him. He spoke it out loud. He dictated, and Baruch would write it out word for word on a scroll. That's how it happened. Interestingly, that's how a lot of the books of the Bible were written. Even Paul's letters, which we'll talk about in tonight's service, Paul's letters were often dictated to a secretary. Somebody else would, would write those words down. Paul would speak them. Somebody else would actually be writing with their own hand on the scroll. It, it's the process. It's how the word gets down on paper. Jeremiah speaks, and Baruch writes it out. But why? I said the purpose is to spread the word, but what's the purpose of the word? It's repeated over and over and over. Verse 3, God speaking. Perhaps the people of Judah will repent when they hear again all the terrible things I have planned for them. Then I will be able to forgive their sins. Repentance and forgiveness. Verse 7, perhaps even yet they will turn from their evil ways, repent, and ask the Lord's forgiveness before it is too late. It's all about repentance and forgiveness. The word of God is for salvation. It's to bring people to repentance so that they can receive God's forgiveness. This is the purpose of God's word. So when God tells Jeremiah to write down his message, there will actually end up being a whole lot of ancient Israelite history in the book of Jeremiah. But it's the purpose of the book of Jeremiah to teach us ancient Israelite history. No, no. Now, when it speaks of that history, you can trust it, but the primary purpose is to bring people to repentance so that they can experience God's forgiveness. It's about salvation. God's word has always been about salvation. That's why the response to God's word is so very important. Now, listen to me. That's why the response to God's word is so very important. The fact that you have 4.3 Bibles at home doesn't really say much for you now, does it? The fact that you attended Bible school when you were a child and you learned some verses and every now and then you can still say, I don't necessarily know how much that says for you. The fact that some of you sit through sermon after sermon, God bless you, sermon after sermon, you're here every Sunday and you're looking at me just like calves at a new gate. Every single Sunday, you just look right at me and you're always here. I don't know what that says for you. The fact that you've been exposed to God's word, I don't know what that says for you. What you've got to understand is being exposed to it is one thing. Responding to it is the important thing. What you do with it, how you respond, how you listen, what you do next after you hear God's word. That's what matters. That's what matters. And what is the response? In this passage, the very first time Jeremiah's uh, message is written down and, and then proclaims, the word is spread at the temple in the middle of a holy day. How did the people respond? What's the kind of response that you're looking for? Honestly, it's, it's put best there at the end when you read how the king responded. What does it say about the king's response? Verse 24, 
he had no fear. He had no fear of God's word and no repentance. No fear, no repentance. In other places when the Bible talks about itself, the book of Hebrews, it says that the word of God is living and active. Sharper than what? Sharper than the edge of any two-edged sword. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Yeah, able to expose our thoughts and actions, able to separate joint from marrow. Yeah. The, the Bible is a sword. Do you understand? It's, it, it's a sword. It, it's living and, and, and active. For a lot of us, the Bible is probably more like a butter knife or, or maybe like one of those plastic knives we give you at potlucks that won't even cut bologna. It, it's something like that. I don't see a lot of fear when it comes to people listening to God's word anymore, often not even at church. Let's just be really honest. Some of you even, you show outward signs of respect for God's word. I love to practice at Woodburn that some of you will stand when we read God's word. It's a sign of respect, and I really do appreciate it, and I love that, and I'm always standing when I read it. I really appreciate that, but I'll be really honest. I see some of you stand sometimes. You don't even have a Bible in your hand. You didn't even bring a Bible with you, but yet you stand, as if standing somehow when we read it, that's all you need to do. And then the other thing is some of you sit right down, and you're asleep before I finish reading it. You stand, but then as soon as it's read, you're asleep. Do you understand the real strangeness of this? The fact that on the one hand, you seem to have this sort of respect for God's Word, but you have no genuine fear of it. You have no real sense that this is a living and an active book, an active word that's like a sword that's going to cut you. Therefore, you approach it with care and with fear. It's going to expose you. It's going to slice your heart wide open. This is what the Bible says about itself. And when the king hears God's word, what makes him so evil, what makes him so despicable, what makes him so demonic, is as the word of God is read, he has no fear, no repentance whatsoever. It doesn't penetrate his heart. It doesn't affect him at all. He just lets them read it out loud, and as they read it, they unroll the scroll. And as they unroll the scroll, he takes out his pocket knife. He slices it in little ribbons, tosses them in the fire, slowly, without feeling. How is that all that different than the way some of you listen to God's word all the time? You may not slice it into ribbons and throw it in the fire, but you might as well. You might as well because it's not penetrating your heart. Because as the word is read, it goes in one ear and right out the other. You might as well just take it and drop it in the fire because it's not sticking anywhere inside your spirit, inside your soul. Do you understand? The proper response begins with fear, begins with respect. It's not because this is a magic book. I know some of you said, Pastor Tim, you talk about respecting the Bible, but you stand up there every Sunday and you roll it in the tightest roll you can and wave it around. And I do. I do. I got this rolled in the tightest roll ever. 
I, I do. And I write all over my Bible. I, I write in it. But, but, but you've got to understand, it's not so much the book, it's the message that instills fear. I, I love this book. I love this Bible. This is my Bible. I'm about to need a new one because, yeah, I'm hard on it. But understand, it's harder on me. This book is harder on me. This is a sword, sharp, and it cuts me to the heart. It's supposed to cut you to the heart. You're supposed to have genuine fear, not because it's a magic book, but because it's a powerful God whose word is before you. When these words are read, these are the words of God. And they're supposed to instill fear because this is a ferocious and holy God. And when he brings his word to you, it exposes you and me for what we are. And we are sinners, incapable and unworthy of standing before him. Yes, the gospel is good news, but when the word of God comes to you for the first time, it's going to be bad news first. Because it's going to show you who you are. It's going to hold a mirror up to your true face, and you don't want to see it. That's why you turn away. proper response is fear and repentance. When God's word speaks, then you change the way you're living. When God's word exposes your sin, when God's word as a sword slices you in two, then understand, you let God put the pieces back together in the way he chooses. God is the authority. And God's authority is the authority behind the Bible. When the Bible speaks, that's God's voice speaking. It's his word. How many of you have discovered Pandora Radio on the internet? Anybody listen to Pandora? Yeah, a lot of you. I love Pandora. In the old days on radio, you just had to listen to whatever the, the lunatic DJ wanted to play. And they just played the same 10 songs all day long. And it would drive you nuts. The only thing you want to hear, you know, is, is witchy woman. But you've got to listen to him play The Streak 20 times. Ray Stevens, The Streak. Do you remember those days? Who wanted to hear it? But you're stuck. You're, you're held captive. You just got to listen. But then Pandora Radio comes along. Changes everything. Because I can see the songs as they come up. And at the bottom, there are two little symbols. What are they? Thumb up. Thumb down. Yeah. So if a song comes up, if Ray Stevens' a street comes up, I didn't want to hear it in the 70s. I don't want to hear it now. All I have to do is click on thumbs down. And I get a little window that says, we're sorry. You'll never hear that song again. Appreciate that. Yeah. I get to choose. I get to choose what I hear. It's marvelous. Thumbs up, thumbs down. If I say thumbs down, I'll never hear it again. So what is left is a radio station that only plays what I like. It's a radio station I've been wanting my whole life. Just want to hear what I like. See, this is your problem when you come to Scripture. When you hear something you don't like, you just go, uh, thumbs down, and then you pretend like you didn't hear that, or you pretend like it doesn't matter. So if the Bible has something to say about your life, if the Bible says something about your anger, you just go, uh, I don't think I'm going to listen to that, and then you don't listen. The Bible says something about your own sexual habits. You just, ah, thumbs down on that. I never want to hear that again. That's how we approach God's word, as if we somehow stand above it. As if we can somehow listen to God's word and then sort of take our pocket knife and slice to ribbons the parts we don't ever want to hear again. 
It doesn't work that way. It's God's word. The authority behind the Bible is God's own authority. The proper response, the only response, is fear and repentance. Do you understand? Fear, and then you change your ways in line with what the Bible says. There's an old Gideon story about a man who was handing out Gideon Bibles. What I'm talking about, the little New Testaments. He was handing out Gideon Bibles in, in a prison. He got to this one guy in a cell who said, hey, hey, give me one of those Bibles. I want one of those Bibles, the little New Testament. The Gideon walked over and said, brother, here, I'm happy to give you God's word. He said, I do hope that you'll read it. And if you have any questions, come back to me. The man said, I'm not going to read this. This right here is the very best smoking paper I've seen anywhere. Understand? He wanted a Gideon Bible so that he could tear out the pages one by one and roll his cigarettes. He said, that's the best smoking paper I can get anywhere. So he took the Bible. Later he said, I smoked all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. And I smoked all the way through Mark. And I smoked all the way through Luke. And I smoked my way through John. And I smoked my way through Acts. But then I got to Romans. When the Gideon came back, the man was at his bars. He said, please, sir, come. Come here, talk to me. I have a question for you. He said, I smoked my way through the first part of the Bible, but then I got to a verse in Romans that said, but God proved his love for us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. I got to that verse and I couldn't smoke no more. Will you tell me what that means? You understand? When you're reading God's word and reading it as you should read it, there comes to a point where it will burn you. It comes to a point where it will cut you. It comes to a point where you can't smoke no more. You've just got to stop and begin to adjust your life to fit what the Bible says. It is the authority. It's God's authority. I kind of made a joke and I was reading over all those names. Uh, and this passage seems to really emphasize all the names of all those guys. And not only who they are, but who their daddies are and who their grandfathers are. And uh, sometimes in Scripture we're inclined to skip over and, and, and imagine that those things aren't important. I just want to point out a, a little something to you, especially in, in this case. Verse 11, when Micaiah, son of Gemariah, and grandson of Shaphan heard the messages from the Lord, he went down to the secretary's room in the palace where the administrative officials were meeting. Verse 13, when Micaiah told them about the messages Baruch was reading to the people, the officials sent Jehudi, son of Nethaniah, grandson of Shelemiah, great-grandson of Cushi, to ask Baruch to come and read the messages to them too. There's one man in all of those lists of names that, that is sort of the key figure here. He is the one who listens and really hears the word of God as the Holy Spirit brings it through Jeremiah. And he changes the way the whole story goes. His name is Micaiah. Micaiah. And we're told that his father was Gemariah and his grandfather was Shaphan. 
the interesting thing is, and I can't do it with you now, but those of you who, who really enjoy this kind of thing, go to the back of your Bible if you've got a good concordance this week. Look up Shaphan. Look up the grandfather Shaphan. And then I'm asking you to just sort of do some study there. Look at all the sons and grandsons of Shaphan because honestly, that's a name you hear several times in the Old Testament. You frequently run across his sons and grandsons. And the really interesting thing is whenever you run across somebody in Shaphan's family, they are usually hearing, protecting, defending, standing up for the word of God. It's just an interesting little detail. But it's funny to me how it, it just runs in that family. just kind of runs in that family I don't think it's accidental to be honest I think it goes back probably to Grandpa Shaphan I'm just guessing but it's not accidental if a man can raise sons and every one of them turns out to be a champion for God's word and then those sons have sons and, and those grandsons also become men who listen and, and defend the word of God there's just something very important there, Mom and Dad. Are you listening to me? Something very, very important about children hearing the Word of God from Mom and Dad. Whether you like it or not, it is most likely that your children will develop the same kind of relationship with Christ that you have. Your children will develop the same kind of Bible habits that you have. That alone ought to strike fear in your heart. I'll never forget the day when Wade was small and he said to me, for a preacher's family, we sure don't read the Bible much. Are you listening to me? They'll get it from us. The children growing up in our church right now, they're going to get it from us. It's our responsibility. In the Bible, all over the place, it says, you teach this to your children. You, 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 you write this over the doorpost of your house. You, you make this a way of life so that everywhere you turn, God's word is before you. You, you meditate on this day and night. It, it's what the Bible says about itself. And it continues to stress the importance of, of making this a part of the way you raise your children. You let them know that you love the Bible, that you love the God of the Bible more than anything else, that, that the Bible is that which orders your family's life. Are, are you listening to me? It's just a guy named Micaiah who changes the whole story because when he hears God's word, he's got a tender heart for God's word. God's word pierces, pierces his soul, and he immediately begins to move to make sure other people hear this word. Do you see? That's what happens when you really hear God's word. It, it sinks in, it, it, it pricks your heart, it exposes you, and immediately you, be, you become concerned that other people hear it as well. That's how much it matters. That was Micaiah. Something tells me he, he got that tender heart from his daddy, maybe from his granddaddy Shaphan. Whoever you are, somebody's watching you, somebody's following after you. I just wonder what kind of legacy for the Word of God you're leaving. If your children grow up and they read the Bible just like you read the Bible, how much of the Word's going to get into them? 
vast majority of people in the United States have a Bible at home. And then most of them read it less than once a year. Why? Because we say we don't have time. So think about that. If you've not opened the Bible since last week when we were together and I opened it for you, if you've not taken a Bible, listened, or, or read for yourself, then what does that say? You say, well, I didn't have time. Well, what you're saying is, that means the least important thing you did all week was more important to you than reading God's Word. Are you listening? The, the least important thing you did all week long was still more important than reading God's Word. God goes to great lengths to bring his word to us, to put it in our hands and to put it into our hearts so that we can hear his word and know him and fear him and repent and receive forgiveness from him. But that won't work if you don't read it. And you say you don't have time to read it? You ought to be ashamed. We ought to be ashamed. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. We have read it in this house. We have proclaimed it. It remains to be seen whether or not we have heard it. Some of us, Lord, have no fear. We have no real respect. We may not cut your word up into ribbons and throw it in the fire, but we might as well because we're never, ever going to read it in a way that changes our lives. God, help us. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would stir in the hearts of fathers, dads, grandfathers in this room, Lord. A real desire to teach their children, to lead their families, to somehow build their home on the foundation of your word, oh God. I pray that you would stir fear in the hearts of men who are so proud and so lazy when it comes to spiritual things. God, help us. God, I pray that you would break the hearts of fathers for their children who are growing up not knowing your word, although they may know the entire starting lineup of the New York Yankees. God, help us. God, I pray for moms who are so busy and so overwhelmed and so constantly in motion but never still before you and before your word. God, I pray that you would stop those women in their tracks before it's too late. Lord, we've heard your word, we opened it, we, we saw the words on the page, but God, what matters most is what happens next. God, I pray for genuine repentance on our part. I pray, Lord, for genuine fear and respect. I, I pray, Lord, that we would hear the voice of Scripture, the voice of God with all authority and surrender and yield our lives to your speaking voice in Scripture. Lord, you have given us your word. Now, Lord, by your grace, help us to give ourselves to your word. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name, but for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of our children. Amen.